Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm going to chat about drinking water and eating red meat. They're unrelated nutrition topics submitted by a listener for my weekly Ask Me Anything episode, and I'm stoked to answer them on the show today. Welcome back to the Daily Dollop podcast team. What a fine day this is. Hope you're all doing well. My name's Kate Freeman and I'm a registered nutritionist and the founder of the Healthy Eating Hub and the Healthy Eating Clinic. Guys, fun fact about me is that I currently have my name down at a breeder for a puppy. I know, I know, I'm crazy. I'm too busy for a puppy, but my kids are 10 and 12. They've been begging us for a puppy. There's some changes happening in our lives around our housing situation, hopefully. And so it's puppy time. You know, I just feel like it's a rite of passage of parenting and puppying. So yeah, it's a blue healer. It's exciting. So we'll see how we go. (laughs) I'll keep you updated on that. But he was born seven days ago and he's delicious and white and chunky and cute. Um, Yeah, blue healers are born white. I didn't know that. So there you go. Um, But on to today's Ask Me Anything episode, where one of the Dollop listeners has actually asked me not one, but two questions. Amazing. I mean, I've always thought if you don't ask, you don't get. So uh, this listener has gone in for two questions. I'm stoked to answer them on the show. So if you have a question that you'd like answered on the show, then all you have to do is head over to my Facebook and Instagram pages one of those two, go to direct message me, hit the microphone, just record your 60 second question and send it to me. And then I'll answer it on the weekly Ask Me Anything show. So let's get stuck in today and hear today's question. Hi, Kate, this is Trixie. I've got two questions for you for your podcast. The first one is how much water a day should the average adult be drinking? And the second one is, is eating red meat for dinner such a bad thing? Thank you. Amazing questions, Trixie. And we're going to answer both of those on the show today. So let's get stuck into the first one. How much water should you drink in a day? It's actually a frequently asked question and also frequently answered with, you should drink around two liters a day. Certainly early on in my career, I just used to say that. I don't know why. I think I remember learning it maybe at school, in health or PE, you know, hearing it at gyms. It's a pretty commonly touted piece of advice, you know, drinking your two litres of water a day. Now, it's not bad advice because drinking water is really good for you and staying hydrated is really good for you. In fact, being dehydrated from losing up to 2% of your body weight from fluid losses is enough to actually impair concentration and bring on symptoms of dehydration. But um, it's actually just not correct advice. And so if you're interested in learning more about the complexities of human hydration, I've linked to a study in the show notes on 24-hour hydration status. It was a really full-on read for me. 
I do have a master's degree in nutrition, but this is getting really deep into electrolyte balance and you hydration and, and kidney function. And it was, whoa, pretty over my head. But I have to admit, I thoroughly enjoyed the read because it really showed and highlighted just how complex our body is and why sometimes these really oversimplified recommendations aren't actually correct. And so the reality is, is the right amount of water for you in a day depends. It depends on your body size, your current electrolyte levels, your salt or an electrolyte intake from your diet, your activity levels, the outside temperature, the humidity, um, other foods that you've eaten in a day, right? So much. And in fact, the water needs are so variable that it's actually very difficult to give a blanket recommendation for water intake that covers, you know, all stages of life because a child's hydration status and water needs are different from an adult's. And in fact, a child's hydration status um, and water needs changes as they grow. But in fact, the article I linked to in the show notes on the 24-hour hydration status actually mentions right in their introduction that due to the factors that influence hydration, that it's impossible to set general water values for water requirements. So impossible is a pretty strong word. Um, I was like, oh, it's probably difficult, but no, they said it's impossible. And after reading the study, I am beginning to understand why. So what I am going to say, Trixie, is that you do need to drink, obviously, to stay hydrated and that the best gauge of your hydration is the colour or concentration of your urine. And so you're basically drinking water to ensure that your your urine stays in that pale yellow colour. So if it's too dark um, and concentrated and, you know, when you go it's only a smaller amount, you're dehydrated and you need to drink more water. If it's really clear and you've you know, you're urinating really large amounts really frequently, then you've drunk more than enough and you're potentially a little overhydrated. So it should be pale yellow in color. So the thing to remember is, is that you get fluid from both drinks and food and meals. So drink and eat sufficiently throughout the day to maintain this pale yellow color. And essentially that's the right amount of water for you. So if you're more active on a hotter day, you're likely to need to drink more water to maintain the hydration status that compared to a less active colder day where you're sweating less. So it will actually vary depending on the day, the person, right? And all of the factors that I mentioned at the beginning. One thing I will say is that generally speaking, it's better to spread your water drinks across the day more evenly than to sort of drink a huge water load all at once, which your body will just wee out, which... I'm sure if you've tried to increase your water intake and you've downed a huge bottle of water all in one go that sure enough, you not long after you were on the toilet. Great. So let's move on to question number two, which is a fabulous question. Is eating red meat for dinner such a bad thing? And I've actually written on this topic before. I've, I've linked to the article in the show notes. It's called Bacon Superfood Status. And the reason I wrote, labeled the article that was because not long before the World Health Organization report on red meat and carcinogenic carcinogens was released that I saw a paleo advocate on social media, this is a number of years ago, like literally with a post saying that bacon was a superfood and I just, I eye rolled and thought, are you kidding me? 
you can't make it a superfood. And then anyway, a few months later, the red meat and carcinogens report from the World Health Organization came out and I wrote about it. So head to the show notes if you're interested to see what I wrote about that. But, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about plant-based diets, vegetarian eating and vegan eating have been around for a really long time. They have mostly sort of originated from an ethical standpoint around animal cruelty and not wanting to eat them, which is absolutely fine. But recently, there's a lot more push around the health benefits of a plant-based diet. Now, I've talked about plant-based diets before. Make sure you check out that episode to find out more about the evidence around plant-based diets. But just to summarize it, it's pretty much that it doesn't mean the absence of meat. It just means that that's the majority of what you're eating. And so, yeah, is eating red meat for dinner such a bad thing? Well, let's get stuck into looking at the science in a bit more detail. But before I do, I just want to mention that with all things in nutrition is is that my answer to this question depends on the context in which it's asked. Because the context is actually really important. You know, people don't eat red meat in isolation. They also have other lifestyle factors and other things going on in their world and their environment that also influence things like their risk of cancer and poor health. So, you know, when someone's like, oh, is it bad to eat red meat? Well, a couple of questions I want to ask is how much red meat is the person eating? You know, what kinds of red meat are they eating? How frequently are they eating the red meat? Um, And what else is the other person eating? eating. And so with these questions in mind, I want to look at what the evidence says about red meat and health. Just remember though that, like I said, health is more than the individual foods we eat. It is the accumulation of our total dietary pattern. So it's the result of all the things we eat on a consistent basis. So I was actually lucky enough to have Brooke, one of my University of Canberra interns who did our summer internship put together a research summary on red meat and health. And so here's the main points. So red meat is rich in protein, fatty acids and micronutrients, in particular B vitamins, iron and zinc. And it's thought to have contributed to the development of our large and complex brains. So there's some positives there about consuming red meat. Processed meat is considered meat that has been salted, cured, smoked, preserved through chemicals, or fermented, or meats that have been fermented. And so these include meats such as bacon, salami, ham, sausages, and devon. Now, in 2010, one in six colorectal cancer cases, so cancer of the colon or large bowel, in Australia were linked to red and processed meat consumption. Processed meats have also been listed as a carcinogenic product to humans by the IARC, So when processing meat, carcinogenic compounds are produced and therefore minimal consumption of processed meats is recommended. Colorectal cancer is actually the most common cancer that processed meats have been seen to contribute to and it's also suggested that just general red meat contributes to colorectal cancer as well. However, there's limited human trial evidence to say that unprocessed red meats cause, you know, these carcinogenic compounds. And so the IARC, although listing processed meats as a carcinogenic product to humans, that red meats are probably carcinogenic. So basically what they're saying is there's no evidence to suggest that they are, but there's also no evidence to suggest that they're not. 
So the, the jury's still out. So we're just going to put pop, probably carcinogenic on there just so that we can be mindful of our intake of these things. Now, when it comes to unprocessed red meat, there are sort of three key elements of the meat that they you know, are possible mechanisms for causing cancer. So the browning of the meat and the oxidation that happens with the browning of the meat, heme, iron, you know, disrupting the gut um, and just the general oxidation of the meat and fat. So the proteins and the fats that can happen either pre-eating or within the gut may also cause cancer. So, you know, in in summary of this evidence is that reducing the consumption of processed meats is definitely recommended. And I certainly, even from a caloric perspective and a weight management perspective, processed meats are far more energy dense. They're also higher in salt. So reducing them from your diet have a number of health benefits from helping manage your energy intake and a healthy weight to reducing your salt intake, to then also reducing risk of colorectal cancers in particular. So certainly I wouldn't be consuming things like bacon, sausages, salami, right? Daily, it would be, you know, once a week, a couple of times a month, max sort of intake. The other thing that I would say in terms of actual red meat is, look, it's just being mindful of your intake. So the IARC recommends to try and limit red meat to lean sources, so removing visible fat and choosing lean cuts and consuming under 455 grams of cooked meat per week. I actually had to laugh at this number, 455 grams. I was like, really? Not 450, not 460, 455. Um, But that would be based on, you know, numerous studies that – the IARC have conducted. And so that would mean that, you know, basically it's fine to consume some red meat during the week, maybe two to three times in your week, but that would be the limit. And then substituting in some other, you know, meat or, you know, substitutes like chicken or seafood, tofu, legumes, things like that. So please remember that until further human trials are conducted, the possibility of red meat, so unprocessed red meat contributing more significantly to cancer, um, it can't be ruled out, but there's also nothing to suggest that it's causing it either. The other thing that reducing red meat can do is reduce the risk of developing cardiovascular disease, inflammation and oxidative stress within the body. Again, this doesn't mean you have to completely cut it out, but certainly if you were building your diet out of red meat and it was, you know, the main component of your meals and you're eating it, you know, on most days, then certainly a reduction there could actually help improve your health long term. Remember that red meat is still nutrient rich. There's still iron and zinc and B vitamins and protein to be gained from consuming red meat. So it's certainly fine to be included as part of a healthy balanced diet, but it wouldn't be something that you wanted to build your diet out of. Now on the flip side, just to bring in some balance to this argument is that there is a study that looked at the relationship between red meats, animal fats and fiber with colorectal cancer and found that women who had a high red meat consumption tended to have a low fiber intake. And we do know that fiber plays a role in keeping a healthy gut microbiome, as well as moderating blood glucose levels and appetite. And so it's also been suggested that a high fiber intake reduces the risk of developing colorectal cancer as well. 
So Trixie, in answer to your question, I would recommend that you aim to include red meat two to three times per week as a maximum, swap in some chicken and seafood, and most importantly, build up the plant side of the diet to ensure you're including more fiber-rich foods. Well, that's it for the show today. Please send in your Ask Me Anything questions. I would love to answer them on the show. Otherwise, stay classy, team. After years of being bombarded with diet culture, I so understand that the world of healthy eating is super, super hard. My healthy eating program helps people who are struggling with their eating habits to lose weight, feel good about themselves and eat well for the rest of their life. I do this by teaching one nutrition principle at a time and showing you how to establish this knowledge as a habit in your everyday life. This is unlike any other program on the market today that simply gives you a meal plan, a list of good and bad foods, or expects you to change everything all at once. Life's too short to live with food stress. To become a habit builder and not a crash dieter, join my program today at healthyeatinghub.com.au. Thank you so much for checking out The Daily Dollop. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so that we can spread the podcast far and wide and so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>